cooperative extension is absolutely the glue that holds the entire system together. Welcome to Extension Out Loud, a podcast from Cornell Cooperative Extension. I'm Paul Treadwell. And I'm Katie Bailden. Who are we talking to this time, Katie? We had the opportunity to talk to Catherine Bohr, who's the departing dean of the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences at Cornell University. She's been the dean for a decade, terms coming to an end, and she has been appointed dean of the graduate school, so making a transition out of agriculture. We talked to the dean about her youth growing up in the southern tier, participation in 4-H, and then a lot about the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, cooperative extension, and what the future might hold. It was an interesting opportunity to talk to someone with a great depth of expertise in New York State agriculture. I'm Catherine Bohr. I am the Ronald P. Lynch Dean of the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences at Cornell University. And I'm also a professor in the Department of Food Science and a professor of food processing microbiology. We're catching on a moment with a lot of changes happening, we're in the middle of the COVID crisis, but also you're transitioning now, aren't you? That's correct. So I started in the role of Dean of the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences in 2010. And Cornell University has term limits uh, for deans. And so we are allowed uh, two five-year terms. And so that brings me to 2020, which is the end of 10 years as the Dean of the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. That's a good tenure that you've had here. It's um, been fun. <laughs> well, challenging, no doubt, at certain points. Um, and boy, whoever's stepping into your shoes at this moment is coming into a really unique situation. That um, is true. In looking at your background a little bit, you started out a long time ago connected to Cooperative Extension and 4-H program. Could you just tell us a little bit about your early experiences with 4-H and how that informed your journey to where you are today? Well, certainly. I, I grew up on a farm in Horseheads, New York. And in fact, my family had been connected to Cooperative Extension since literally the 1920s when they started the farm. My parents and grandparents were involved in what were called farm bureaus and home bureaus, holding demonstrations on the farm, being involved in the science part of what is associated with Cooperative Extension really since the beginning of our farm in Horseheads, New York. Then when I was 10 years old, I joined the Chemung County 4-H program, and I participated in summer camps and fairs and public demonstrations, the, the speaking demonstrations where we would compete to uh, give a good demonstration on a, a selected topic, and became a counselor at those summer camps, and in fact, actually worked for Cooperative Extension when I was a junior at Cornell University uh, during the summer program. So Cooperative Extension has been part of the life of my family since 1926, and certainly part of my life for my entire life, uh, but very actively from age 10 on. So could you just tell us a little bit, how do you think that your involvement with Extension informed your path to where you are today and what you've achieved or accomplished? Well, in fact, to this day, I am a highly introverted person. And Cooperative Extension taught me how to do public speaking. Uh, I was on the dairy cattle judging team that went on to state competition. And there you, by yourself, get up and you speak to a panel of grownups about the reasons that you have 
placed cows in a certain order and being able to control your nerves and being able to do that was a very important thing for me to learn at a very young age. The other thing that it taught me too, uh, through the cooperative extension programming, I learned how much it costs to raise a cow and, and what the economics of the dairy industry are and, and then what you have to earn from the byproducts of a cow in order to make a financially viable operation happen. And so there was so much that I learned from Cooperative Extension and from 4-H in terms of really coming up with my own ideas, being able to defend them in public, learning about the economics of agriculture and farming. I also did the sewing side and the cooking side and the baking side too. And so those were all skill sets that I learned at an early age that have helped me throughout my entire life. In the decade that you've been Dean, can you speak a little bit about the changes you've noticed in agriculture in New York State as far as diversity and the predominance of women starting to rise up as smaller producers? Yes. In fact, I think one of the most exciting things that I have seen, one of the groups where we're seeing the greatest increase in entry into agriculture is among women and young farmers. We're starting to see both groups come into agriculture at this time and to really dig in and get started in agricultural operations. And so I find that very exciting when we look at the students that we have in CALS in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. Certainly there are a lot of women coming along and we see them actually moving into production agriculture. We're starting to see some greater diversity among those who are becoming owners of operations. We're starting to see in some cases the current owners also starting to bring along those who might have been farm workers uh, who come from more diverse backgrounds and grooming them for more leadership roles and, and perhaps ownership roles in agriculture. And I think all of these trends, all of these observations are really exciting about the future of agriculture here in New York State, the vibrancy of the diversity that we're bringing to leadership in agriculture here in New York State. And I'm really excited about that. You've seen an increase in diversity and women becoming involved in agriculture. At the same time, in the past decade, we've seen a transition to more technology in agriculture. So what do you see in the next decade when you look forward as far as the use of technology in agriculture? Is that going to support large producers? Is it going to encourage more smaller producers? I think another very exciting trend that we're seeing in agriculture, not just in New York or the U.S., but worldwide, is the ability to apply technology. And by technology, I'm really referring to information science. So using large amounts of data to drive better decision-making or to drive better diagnostics of plant diseases and all kinds of things into agriculture. And frankly, depending on the technology and the specific tool that you're referring to, these tools can help the entire spectrum of agriculture. So if you think about it, using your smartphone to do a diagnostic on a disease problem, that is totally agnostic to size of farm and suddenly opens up opportunities for bringing good science regardless of size of farming. Now, if you're talking about using those massive tractors that have data collection capacity to do a lot of data collection about the quality of your field or your crops and so forth, that's definitely definitely aiming more at that larger size farms. And so there are opportunities across the entire spectrum of farming from the very smallest scale to the very largest scale to use data-driven strategies 
to improve the efficiency of farming, to reduce pest burdens, to reduce, we hope, the use of chemicals and pesticides and other opportunities like that. So the opportunity for data, the opportunity for technology spans the entire spectrum. And I think it's truly what we call digital agriculture. The digital agriculture opportunities are exciting those who have not necessarily thought about a pathway into agriculture as a career pathway and bringing people into agriculture that haven't really thought that way, but who think differently and who can bring some new ideas and some new opportunities to agriculture. I think that's incredibly exciting. In your view, how has CCE and its representation of cows evolved over time? In my view, Cooperative Extension and CALS and and actually Cornell University are absolutely inseparable. And watching the evolution of all of them, so the university, the colleges, so it's not just CALS, it's also human ecology, industrial and labor relations, and the College of Veterinary Medicine, the evolution of all of them and the fact that Cooperative Extension has kept pace with that evolution in terms of the kinds of science that we're providing to our constituents, the fact that as the needs of our community change, as the kinds of challenges that our community faces change. The fact that Cooperative Extension is working in the field with our citizens and then is bringing those challenges back to our faculty on campus and with our regional teams and others means the vibrancy of the entire operation is maintained. So all of these pieces are equally important. The fact that we've got folks on campus who are teaching and doing research, but their research is informed by the challenges that are being faced by our community members, and that cooperative extension system is absolutely the glue that holds the entire system together, and that helps make sure that the fact that Cornell University remains completely relevant to the people of the state of New York and beyond. Well, you just took away two of my questions I was going to ask you in that answer, so thank you very much. <laughs> that's that's perfect. I like that. So just looking ahead, as you get ready to step down from this position and move to a new position, what do you see for your successor for the next decade? What are the big changes you see coming in agriculture in New York State specifically? So there are so many trends that are affecting agriculture right now and so many issues that have to be addressed by a College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. And among those trends, I do see, and and we hinted at this a little earlier in our conversation, but I do see forces that are driving us both to having much larger farms, simultaneously many, but much smaller farms with relatively few that are in that sort of medium category or or like the farm that I grew up on. In fact, that was a family owned and run farm, a relatively small scale. Those are the ones that we're not seeing increasing in numbers. So we're seeing sort of a bifurcation of farming operations. And we need to understand what that means with regard to the economics of farming as we move to the future and what the needs will be on both ends of the scale in terms of the kinds of science that will be important for the success, both of the larger scale farms and of the smaller scale farms. And that's going to be increasingly important. We're always, of course, going to have to face environmental issues and the impact of our farming operations, particularly on our watersheds, 
And so that's something that we will have to maintain a very sharp eye on as we look to the future and ensuring that our farming operations are operating in as an environmentally sensitive and responsible way that we possibly can. And that's something that we're very committed to, not only the farming community, but Cornell University. Naturally, climate change. And so we're going to be thinking about what are the appropriate plants to be growing in New York State to help us be as profitable as we possibly can and as effective as we possibly can as we work to the future. Managing water in general. In New York, we have had seemingly increasing numbers of experiences with a massive amount of water all at one time. Uh, Certainly the number of those kinds of episodes has increased in frequency in the last decade. And so how we're going to manage that sort of drought or, or drown kind of situation that we're having with water is going to be, I think, even more important as we look to the future for New York State agriculture. And of course, ensuring that we are educating our young people, that we're recruiting the young people who are coming from rural areas and from production agriculture, and that we're providing them with an exciting education at Cornell University that provides them with career success and the the desire to go back into production agriculture when they graduate from Cornell University. So those are all top of mind issues for me, and I'm confident that they will be top of mind issues for the next person who steps into this role. And then returning to the present moment, do you see any ways that the current COVID crisis has impacted or shifted priorities in education and research? The current COVID-19 pandemic has had a dramatic impact in every aspect of all of our lives across the nation and, and around the world. In terms of agriculture, let's start there. Certainly, the pandemic has really highlighted the vulnerabilities that we have in our food systems, starting at the farm and and going all the way through to the consumer. So using dairy as an example, we are a big dairy state here in New York State. Uh, We're fourth in the country at this point in terms of our milk production. And when we had a sudden stoppage in demand for school milk, for example, and for milk that goes into restaurant operations, truly caused a crisis. For our producers, we saw the price of milk drop precipitously. We saw milk being dumped, which is just a horrible thing uh, as a producer to not be able to see all that hard work move into the food system, but to go down the drain, just a horrible thing. And simultaneously, we saw grocery stores limit the amount of milk that you could buy at any one time because we weren't able to get the right amount of the right product into the grocery store to meet the demands that shifted so rapidly in terms of what people were buying and what people needed to do. So we need to build in greater flexibility into our food systems, a better ability to pivot and to shift more rapidly to changing demands in our entire food system. And I think that dairy model is one of the clearest illustrations of our need to build in that sort of flexibility in our broader food system. On higher education front, when it comes to COVID-19, the most amazing thing that happened, of course, was our ability to shift to an entire online teaching strategy within a three-week period. If you'd asked me in January 2020 whether or not that was going to be possible, I would have laughed and said, no, there's no way. But we did it. And we got more than 2,300 courses up and running in a three-week period and moved those through to completion 
for Cornell University. One of the things that strikes me during this whole crisis period we've lived through is there is an advantage to some attempts to relocalize some of the practices we used to have and still maintain the global connections. So I'm sure given your youth growing up on a farm, you remember taking your milk to the local dairy processor. And that was a very community knit experience. And do you see that coming out as a result? Because we know that if we pass through this crisis, we know that there's another one waiting for us. We don't know what it is, but do you think relocalization of some of the production processes and practices is going to be something that is going to be necessary? I think that is the question that we need to be asking ourselves with regard to building more robust and resilient food systems as we look to the future. And in fact, one could argue that had we more localized food systems, that we would have had a much more resilient and robust response to the crises that we faced in our food systems during the early COVID-19. The thing is, we've got to make the economics work. And of course, the economics are what have driven us to our large-scale processing and collection system. So the question is really whether we're going to be able to rebalance the economics of a localized system so that everybody wins in that particular system. And, and I know that those conversations are ongoing, and it's really only time that will tell as to whether or not uh, we can successfully go that way. Now, that was back to an earlier part of our conversation where we were talking about the bifurcation of our agricultural systems, the movement toward these much smaller farms that tend to have these very localized systems of food distribution versus the very much larger farms that tend to use the much larger channels. And so the relative success of these smaller operations will really drive the answer to your question more than anything else. The whole move towards urban agriculture, urban farming, do you see promise for that as we move forward? If we can accomplish one key thing with it, I'll consider it a massive success. And that one key thing is helping people understand where their food comes from and, and what the challenges are with regard to bringing food to the table. I think that as we see a back of the envelope calculation that I did some years ago with regard to the percent of New Yorkers who are involved in production agriculture, given the fact that we have a highly urban set of citizens in New York State, my back of the envelope calculation was less than a tenth of 1% of New Yorkers are directly involved in production agriculture. We know it's less than 2% nationwide. And so what that means is very often people don't even have grandma's and grandpa's farm to go back to anymore. Or if they do, it's not really a food production farm. Maybe there's a garden. And so the point is a lot of our population is really separated from where food comes from and not really understanding the challenges that go into protecting your vegetables, even from chipmunks, for crying out loud, much less insects and other possible diseases of food. And so that's so important for people to understand that, to understand why farmers make the choices that they do to protect their crop so that they can get that crop to market. And so if urban agriculture can help people understand what the challenges are, including the economics of, of getting food into the marketplace, I consider that a big win. Now, whether or not it, we will have a massive economic shift where it will make a lot of sense for more food to be grown more closely in our urban centers beyond things like microgreens and some other plant products, time will tell.
What are you most proud of during your tenure as dean? The thing I'm most proud of in the college are phenomenal students, our faculty, and our staff. I could not possibly be more proud of the people that comprise the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences at Cornell University. I think we are one of the most spectacular schools that covers agriculture and the environmental sciences and the applied social sciences in the world. I know we are in the life sciences as well. And I'm tremendously proud of what each and every person in this college achieves every single day. In terms of specific items that happened during the past 10 years, I'm very proud of the formation of the School of Integrative Plant Science. And already that school, which was formed in 2014, has gone on to become one of the most productive units in the college in terms of bringing in external research dollars, in terms of increasing the number of students who are taking courses in plant science. They've redone the curriculum, having incredible graduate students who are applying to the program. Just awesome outcomes as a consequence of the formation of that particular school. And then the other thing that I'm extremely proud of has been the college's emphasis on hands-on learning for our students. So active learning strategies, which we have really implemented across the college in the last four years or so. And to see our faculty so enthusiastically embrace our active learning strategies and really put them into use across the college, across our many different curricula. As you move into your next phase of your career, what do you find most challenging or exciting? My next step in my career is as Dean and Vice Provost of Graduate Education at Cornell University. And I'm incredibly excited about that opportunity and and the opportunities uh, for Cornell University in terms of what we'll be doing with graduate education. The concerns that I have, of course, are the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Some of those are financial, some of those are health-related and so forth. And so the next couple of years will really be very telling in terms of the consequences uh, for the entire university and all of higher education around the world. So that's a big one. And in terms of the opportunities, uh, Cornell University attracts some of the best and the brightest graduate students in the entire world. And so the opportunity to continue to, to create for them and to improve for them opportunities for them to really embrace leadership opportunities and to make their dreams come true in terms of launching them on their careers is something that makes me want to get up every morning and rush to work. Thanks for listening to this episode. Extension Out Loud was produced and edited by Paul Treadwell with help from Katie Belden and R.J. Anderson. For more about this episode, including show notes, a listener survey, uh, sign up for our mailing list, and more, visit extensionoutloud.com. And be sure to subscribe to Extension Out Loud on your favorite podcast directory.